Hey everybody, this is Justin from Mayday, the Handmade Sale Podcast. I'm being joined today by Sarah Believich Goldman. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Justin. Thanks for having me. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about what you guys are going to be doing and when, and then we'll get into some other stuff here. Yeah, so uh, I'm working with a group uh, called Handmaids for HB40, uh, and we are holding a day-long silent protest in Chicago on uh, this coming Wednesday, August 9th, um, from 7 a.m. to approximately 3 p.m. at the Thompson Center, which is uh, outside the governor's office in Chicago, Um, you know, the... Um, capital of Illinois is down in Springfield, but this is their Chicago offices where we will be protesting in support of HB 40, um, which is a bill that would protect women's rights on uh, many, many different levels. Uh, The bill has already passed the House and the Senate, and our governor, dear old Bruce Rauner, is now threatening to veto it. So uh, we are trying to make sure he does not do that. And how many of you will be out there at this protest? So we're doing it a little differently. We have uh, between uh, two and four handmaids who will be rotating all day, uh, standing completely still and silently. Um, Unlike other protests that are about kind of getting this information out, we'll also be having an an informational portion. But this is really about um, the power of of persistence, of presence, and of what happens when you don't uh, take your eyes off of it. We want the governor to know that we are all watching this very closely. So we will have a few handmaids there, but we are inviting the public to come down and stand in silent solidarity with us. But this is also a protest that reminds us that no matter how many your numbers, each uh, voice and each life is important. Um, and needs to uh, not be taken for granted within our system. We've partnered with Planned Parenthood Illinois Action um, and a petition that they have going uh, that we're sending to the governor and asking people also to call him and ask him to sign the bill, not to veto it. Um, But this is absolutely open to everyone to come down. If you have five minutes, if you have an hour, however long you have, whenever you can make it, we would love you to come and stand with us um, and stand up for women in Illinois, but also just women across our country and our world, um, because what we're seeing with this bill and and the opposition to it is unfortunately indicative of things happening nationwide right now. So going off of that, you mentioned that this has passed the House and the Senate and Bruce Rauner, who you mentioned to me, and uh, we're in Missouri, so Illinois is obviously our neighbor, so we know a lot of things other than, you know, uh, not having a budget for a really long time, yeah. but he he came out as a pro-choice, and now all of a sudden is talking about not signing this. And it, what is the reasoning behind that, or has he given any? Uh, he hasn't given a ton. You know, it, it passed the House and the Senate by a very narrow vote. Um, it's a very controversial bill. Um, unfortunately, it's unfortunate that women's rights are still so controversial and so heated. I do know that the church has been putting a lot of pressure on various people not to sign things. Um, yes, it's ironic. Bruce Rauner ran as a pro-choice candidate. Uh, he would not have been the candidate of my choice, but that was always something I respected him for. He's actually a very well-documented Planned Parenthood donor and supporter. Um, and his reasonings for this, to the best of my knowledge, um, are, are kind of amorphous and you know, pressure that he's been getting from various organizations. Um, Rauner is notorious for being a businessman 
first. He has not been in politics before being the governor of Illinois, um, which obviously seems to be a trend within America right now, having uh, inexperienced people there. So I don't know if there are business interests um, that would be affected by this in any kind of way, um, or if he just knows that so much of the left is so angry at him for so many things he thinks the best chance of reelection um, is not to sign. I don't. I don't know. He hasn't been public. He's just been clear that this isn't something that he um, supports, which is a real problem. Very interesting. So no real concrete reasoning behind that. And, and do you know the public support for this bill? What the oh, percentages are? A ton of public support. So part of why the bill is so controversial is that it does many different things for women's rights. And I know that some of those things are things that Rauner is against. Um, there's been a ton of support for this bill as it is one of the primary things that this bill does is remove the trigger law from Illinois. I don't know if you guys know about this, but Illinois currently has this um, law that essentially says if Roe, v, if Roe v. Wade were overturned within the state of Illinois, life would automatically um, begin at conception. So what that does is it then would make abortion an act of murder and automatically anyone performing abortions or looking to get an abortion, um, that would be criminalized and, and they could, you know, be punished for that. And it also therefore affects a lot of contraceptives um, because anything that interferes then with the idea of life beginning at conception would also be made illegal. So things like the pill and IUDs um, are automatically uh, then would become illegal. Um, and so, you know, for those reasons, there are other elements to the bill as well, but those things are so huge and would be so detrimental for people across the state uh, it, in terms of moving back the clock decades in terms of what we've fought for, um, that there is, there's been huge outcry in support of this bill. Uh, so just a, as a, as a man, I have a question because yeah. all these things happen and you, you know, you hear about all the, the, um, contraception being like you said, being illegal, if that was to happen, uh, would it be illegal to get a vasectomy on the other side of things? Well, no, I don't know. There hasn't been that much talk about that, right? Like probably, I mean, I would venture a guess that probably not, but I, uh, but I couldn't say for sure. Definitely. That's not one of the things that's been talked about. That's very, very interesting. Interesting how that works, huh? Yeah, really. Right. You know, Viagra is covered by everything, but you can't get um, you can't get coverage for birth control to save your life sometimes. It's amazing. Uh, so tell me how you came to be involved with this. Uh, well, so this is something that's been near and dear to my heart for a long time. I'm actually Canadian uh, and we've got very different laws um, up there in terms of abortion and uh, women's rights. And so my whole life, it's been something very, very close to me. I actually um, grew up knowing Henry Morgenthaler, who's the man who got abortion legalized in Canada. Uh, and then um, after uh, Trump was elected, I joined a whole bunch of different uh, activist groups to to hold myself accountable and make sure I was participating because my life, like everyone's, can get incredibly busy and swept away and realized, like so many people did, that if we don't stand up, no one's going to stand up. Uh, one of the groups that I belonged to that was just a group of friends who would get together every week and make calls to representatives uh, starting in January, HB40 was one of the big things that uh, that the group was pushing for and talking about and talking about the real dangers of what could happen if this bill didn't pass. So I've been involved with it for, for quite a number of months now and educating people and calling people and going um, to different information nights about, about the bill. Um, 
And then I'm also part of a group uh, called OFA, which is Organizing for Action. Um, and there are many different chapters of OFA all across the country. They also host this amazing program called the OFA Fellows, where they take people whose career is not in advocacy um, or politics uh, and, and teach them about how they can be a better community organizer. And so I am one of the OFA Fellows within Chicago uh, for the summer and have been in a very intensive training program over the past few months in terms of how to create change within our society. And the other women that I'm working with on this protest who created this group, Handmaids for HB40, um, are also part of that. So we started looking at that and then reaching out to other groups within Illinois who've been fighting this fight in a really big way on the ground. Uh, Planned Parenthood Illinois uh, Action has been huge. Indivisible groups have been huge. Men for Choice, Personal Pack, these amazing organizations. Um, that have been doing the nitty gritty of all of this. And what we need to make sure happens with HB40 is that people don't forget that we keep putting the pressure on Rauner, that we keep talking to each other, that we know that we can still save this bill and that uh, saving this bill is imperative for women across the state. Um, so we have this one coming up on Wednesday. And then I believe a couple of weeks later, another group is doing another handmaid's protest that we will also be involved in. Excellent. And once again, we are talking to Sarah Ilyevich. Goldman. She is part of a group that will be protesting at the Chicago office of uh, the Illinois governor uh, on Wednesday, August 9th, with a group of uh, handmaids that will be there supporting Bill HB40 in Illinois, hoping that they can uh, put some pressure on to make sure that that gets passed. So you mentioned that you were Canadian, so I have a question for you. Uh, How long have you been in the States? Uh, I've been living here full time about four and a half years. What's your general view of what you've seen from moving from Canada to here as far as the American healthcare system <laughs> and women's rights and it's kind of everything. Give us like the Canadian, oh, the, the long time Canadian. You, uh, you really want the answer to that? I um, absolutely want the answer. I want to know what you okay. like, coming from Canada, coming here, what is your uh, perspective and what's your opinion? Let me lay it out for you. Um, I think what's happening down here is criminal. I think that it's absolutely criminal and that, people in the States need to realize that the system that you're in is not the only option. Um, Amazing people that I talk to here still believe somehow that this is the way it has to be on every level, that this is the only way that it's uh, functioning, for example. And it's a lie. What healthcare costs here is not what healthcare actually costs. Um, I actually had the ability to compare and contrast this in a very stark way recently. Um, My husband and I uh, and our kids were traveling and visiting my family up in Canada recently, um, and he got very sick very suddenly um, and had to be rushed to the uh, hospital. Uh, We were in a small town. He was nervous about what the healthcare was that he was going to have to have. He ended up having to have some emergency surgery. He had ambulance fees. He had staying overnight in the hospital. He had surgical consults and a surgery and all of this stuff. And he is uninsured in in Canada, entirely uninsured. Um, And the total cost for everything ended up being $6,000. Wow. $6,000 all in. And when he came back to the States and showed everything to his doctors and his specialists and everything, in fact, they said everything, you know, they did everything perfectly. There's not a single thing about this that we would have done differently. There was not a corner that was cut. There was not, you know, a procedure that was missed. There's all of this mythology about what socialized medicine does for people. Um, 
and that it, you know, the wait times are too long and that you don't have as good health care. Yeah, we've got problems in terms of our in terms of our healthcare system for sure. There's nothing, there's nothing that can't be improved upon. Absolutely. Um, but the fact that that was the total out-of-pocket cost. I mean, I had some health issues down here. We have amazing insurance that we pay into that gives us great coverage, and it ended up being the same amount that we were paying out-of-pocket. You know, Uh, Ontario yesterday just released a big statement that they are now legalizing the abortion pill, which had not been legal in Canada up until now because it takes longer for drug stuff to go through. We've got a, a more rigorous testing process. And not only are they legalizing the abortion pill, but it's free. So give me a little perspective just because I don't know and maybe a lot of our people that are listening out here don't know. Yeah. How long, and if you can tell, if you don't know this, then that's fine. How long has the Canadian healthcare system been a socialized medicine system? I was just looking at this. They were talking about um, when like different countries joined. Um, but yeah, so I'm pretty sure since the 60s, it was our first when we first started having it. And then um, I think our current system has been in place since the 80s. Um, Canada is not as socialized in terms of medicine as places in Europe, to be clear. Uh, Most people still do have private insurance, but that private insurance is like the next level up. So any kind of doctors, I was a clumsy child. I ended up breaking my ankles seven times in about four years when I was a kid. Every one of those doctor's visits, hospital visits, casts, physio, all covered by um, our provincial insurance plans. Other things on top of that, um, sometimes end up being more elective procedures, massage therapy, psychotherapy, um, you know, definitely uh, elective plastic surgery, things like that. Uh, sometimes pharmaceuticals, all of that stuff ends up being more and potentially covered by your uh, private insurance provider. But there's also, even with a private insurance provider, nothing like networks. So once you have insurance, you're not worried about uh, is this person in network, out of network. Um, which I have found that's been one of the starkest things for me coming down here is understanding that even once you have insurance, you still don't get all the coverage that you need. You end up with a bill down here that I'm never sure why it costs what it costs. Right. You know, I was saying to I was saying to my husband, if I go into a store and I'm looking for a pair of jeans, I have a basic understanding of what a pair of jeans costs. When I go to the doctor and they say they're giving me a test, they don't talk to me about what the price is ahead of time. Afterwards, I get a number, but I have no idea what's that base, what that's based on because I don't know what these things actually cost. Um, and it's scary, and it's scary, and it makes me wonder here, are people recommending tests and procedures for the financial end of things as opposed to when they're necessary? And that's not something I ever, ever worried about in Canada. Uh, it seems to me that if you could just eliminate healthcare as something that you would have to worry about how much it would cost, um, it would just make your life a whole lot easier. I've always, in my opinion, it's always been education and healthcare seem to be the two most logical places for some form of socialization to take hold. Uh, But I think if you leveled the playing field in those two areas for everyone, I think we could solve a lot of problems in this country. Absolutely. And you know, there's a fallacy down here about what it's like in Canada. I mean, Canada is far more socialist than than America is. But overall, in terms of how it works, it's a capitalist country, right? Like how how our free market works, how we interact with things, it's it's 
far more capitalist than is given uh, credit for. So you can have both. There's this idea of if healthcare um, is taken over by the government, what that means. And it's like, that's just not true. Another thing that's important is that there was pushback in Canada before we implemented socialized healthcare. There was. So there's also this feeling of like, well, it only works because everyone was on board. It only worked because of this. It only worked because of that. No, we all faced problems. Every time there's a major change across a country, there's going to be problems. It's going to take time. There are going to be bumps that need to be smoothed over. There are going to be ways that you fail and ways that you succeed. But I don't think there's a single person in Canada who would ever consider going back to a different system. I have met so many people from so many different countries across the world, countries that are way worse off than the U.S. in so many different ways, countries that they you know, have spent all of their time trying to get to America to have this better life. And every single one of them is like, oh yeah, but healthcare in my country was better. Healthcare in Estonia was way better. Healthcare in Mexico was way better because there, there was access to it. You know, and what that does when you're afraid that you're not gonna be able to care for yourself or your family or like your kids, that you're gonna have to choose between rent and paying medical bills, I mean, that's something that isn't has never been part of um, my understanding of the world, and I'm grateful for that. And so I take it very seriously, this fight, whether it's in support of HB 40 or the ACA or, you know, any any kind of reform, um, just educating people that healthcare is a right. Why you can't you can't expect to be born into this world and then that the people some of whom demanded that you be born. Um, aren't going to help take care of you. We all have to take care of each other. That's the way that humanity's worked since the dawn of time. Um, and there's absolutely no reason that that can't be implemented in America. Once again, talking to Sarah Ilyevich Goldman. She is uh, protesting with a group on August 9th, next Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, outside of the governor of Illinois' Chicago office. Uh, Sarah, can you tell us if, let's say, the, someone can't make it to this protest to be there with you guys, uh, what is the best way for them to contribute and what is the best way for them to get involved with the HB40 specifically? Well, that's one of the reasons, actually, uh, that we've set this protest up as we have. We would love you to come down and join us in person, but there are a lot of different ways to be active and involved without coming down. So what our big ask is that people follow us online and help amplify our voice. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at handmaids for hb 40 um, and that's for the number. Um, Handmaids for HB40. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Save HB40. And all we ask is that you follow us on those two platforms. And especially on uh, that day, Wednesday, August 9th, share what we share. We're going to be live streaming and live tweeting and taking pictures and get showing what's happening. We need Governor Rauner to know um, that all eyes are on him and that we expect him to do the right thing and the thing that he promised the people of Illinois he was going to do. And if you have other things coming up, especially in terms of women's rights uh, movement, let us know and we would love to help amplify yours. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's really interested me since I've started doing this podcast is one of the things that we aimed to do was, especially with the show being so heavy, so dark, um, as far as as material goes, we wanted to you know shine a light on all these people and organizations that are making a difference, especially in the areas of women and girls and women's rights. Mm -hmm. And there are so many that it kind of amazed me. I I mean I always know that there are, but I always 
part of my what I wanted to do was try and give a voice to the ones that maybe don't have the resources behind them, if you will, Absolutely. to get their voice heard as much. So it sounds like that's also part of what you're doing, that you're trying to you know, get these other organizations that are doing similar things to you and kind of get their voice heard and get people together to unify in these actions. Is that correct? Absolutely. There's so much divisiveness right now in every way, you know, between the left and the right and also within the left and the right, um, though I'm more familiar with the left, where and it's not helpful. Um, there's reasons for it and those reasons do need to be addressed, but it's not helpful. One of the reasons we chose the symbol of the handmaids is, yes, it's an amazingly powerful image, but it's also the image that our sisters have used across the country um, to great success. And so we do this for ourselves, but we also do this in a show of solidarity for them and their fights and and let them know. I mean, especially in Missouri, we've all been watching very closely what's been happening down there, um, that we're standing with you. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel right now. We are much stronger united than we are divided. Um, and so anything that we can do uh, to to join in that unity is what we are looking for. I hope this protest for you guys goes well. It sounds like I like the approach of being there all day long. Uh, just the symbol of that is going to be excellent. And I, I assume that you guys will get a lot of press coverage because that will be a big deal. Have there been very many of these handmaids protests? You see them popping up all over the country now. Has there been very many in the Chicago area? There have been a few in, in Chicago, again, very much about this bill, HB 40. Um, you know, that's the idea is just to remind him and to remind the public that we aren't going anywhere, that this issue isn't going anywhere. People have been there before us. We will be there Wednesday. People will be there after us. And we're just going to remind him that we're not going anywhere. So once again, we were talking to Sarah Ilyevich Goldman. Uh, she's going to be heading up this protest in Chicago outside of the governor's office in Chicago. Uh, Sarah, a little more Canadian perspective. So you grew up in Canada, so you were in uh, Atwood territory there. Indeed. So can you speak to the uh, impact and the importance of her of the Handmaid's Tale novel and just her in general as an author of in Canada? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's actually interesting. Um, since the TV show came out, which was shot in Toronto, uh, you can play fun, fun Toronto geography watching uh, the world fall apart in the Handmaid's Tale. Um, <laughs> you realize that, I mean, to Margaret Atwood, I grew up with Margaret Atwood being a superstar. Um, the Handmaid's Tale was on my required leap reading list in high school, um, and I'd already read it and I think almost all of her other books before then. Um, she has always been a symbol of ferocity um, and of, of fearlessness in a way um, that has always been much revered. Uh, I remember when the Handmaid's Tale Opera was on uh, a few years ago at the Canadian Opera Company. So um, she is someone, I mean, I'm, I'm a writer and a woman and from Toronto, so she's always been someone that I've looked up to um, with great, great admiration and have had the pleasure of having our paths cross once or twice socially, which has always been uh, lovely. Um, she is uh, quite quite a woman and Canada holds her very, very dear to our hearts. That's excellent. And so have you watched the show? I assume you have. I've seen parts of it. I actually haven't seen all of it because I feel a little bit like I'm living The Handmaid's Tale right now. <laughs> a little too close to home. There's been a lot of that reaction, I'll be honest with you. You know, I... I do most of our social media stuff and, uh, you know, I'll see people that are just like, this is, uh, I can't watch this right now. Yeah, it's too it, close to home. 
it's weird. It's one of those things. It's a combination. First of all, I've read the book about five times. So I'm like, I really want to see, I've heard that it's just absolutely stunning. And from what I have seen the camera work and how they captured the story um, for, for the screen is beautiful. And I will, I will sit down and make myself watch it one day, but there's a combination of it is um, over. It is overwhelming right now living in the States. And then this weird thing where it's shot in Toronto and I'm, I'm uh, you know, in the arts community and a bunch of my friends are in it. So there's also Ooh, wow, okay. cool. of seeing people and being like, Oh, I don't want to see you in this setting. Um, <laughs> this is like, this is the last thing that I want. Um, but yeah, but I mean, I think, I think it's almost prophetic that this has been in the works making this series given where the world is right now. Absolutely. Um, and so let's give the, you said you were in the art. So let's give the uh, listeners here a little background on what you do. Cause I know you have a background in theater and you said you're a writer. So give us your uh, rundown on you. Oh my, I do a little bit of everything. Um, I uh, fell in love with theater at a very early age and knew that that's what I was going to dedicate my life to. Um, and I am and trained, I have my I BFA in acting um, and through my BFA program got involved uh, with a brilliant playwright who took my love for the written word and, and encouraged me to go into that. So I've been working primarily as a playwright um, for the last seven or eight years, um, but on both sides of the border. Um, I also do some directing. Um, I'm a founder of a theater company in uh, Toronto, um, which has carried on, though I've moved down to the States. Um, so I'm, I'm always interested in what theater does and what its impact can be. And so I take on a wide variety of roles within that um, to make sure that the most impactful work is happening on our stages. Um, There's actually a company um, that I'm semi-involved with in Chicago um, is doing a stage adaptation of Margaret Atwood's Alias Grace very shortly, um, which is also an absolutely incredible novel. Um, So I'm very excited. Um, And there's a, there's a movie I believe of that coming up too. Uh, It's actually going to be, I don't know what you would call it. It's a short run series. So it's a four episode series that will be on Netflix. It's uh, a Canada gets it first. Of course they do. And then uh, on November 3rd, I believe, is when it premieres on Netflix here in the United States. I'm so excited for that. I mean, Alias Grace is an absolutely incredible novel um, as well. Um, So, so yeah, so, but primarily I do playwriting and I work on, and uh, also educating and I work on a lot of social justice stuff. So on top of being a writer, I've been an adjunct professor of playwriting at UIC Chicago for the past two years. Um, I work with the auditorium theater here, going to the south and west side of the city um, and teaching in elementary schools the power of language and drama and art um, and incorporating that into their academic uh, academics and w- working with their teachers to make their kind of core subjects um, more creative and accessible for, for all students. Um, I've run uh, workshops through Open Books, which is a literacy program in Chicago that I have uh, taught with. Um, so it's really for me, not just about art for art's sake, but art as an advocacy tool and as a message. Um, so yeah, and I, and I work with companies that have that similar purpose in mind. Excellent. So you're not doing very much. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> like little days, like little days on this side. <laughs> so, and uh, this just popped in my head. Talk to me if you can, being someone who's in the theater, you know, background. Uh, talk to me about the theatricality, if you will, if that's a word, if I just made yeah, that yeah. up. Um, 
the theatricality of the protests that are happening right now and why those kind of protests seem to garner the most attention. And do you think that those are more effective than say your large marches or do they, are they kind of their own separate entity? Well, one of the things in terms, so first of all, it's interesting that you talk about the theatricality of protests. Um, I, I think all public elements have real theatricality to it and learning how to shape that message and what message you're trying to put out there is an incredibly important part of, of making sure that you are successful. Um, despite my deep, deep hatred for the man, um, Donald Trump is a master at theatricality um, and figuring out who's looking where and how to make the biggest kind of splash. Um, as far as real change coming from any protest, I think a question we always have to ask ourselves is what do we want accomplished with this? Um, I've been doing a lot of reading on, on protest history uh, to better understand the culture of protests and the and that movement within this country um, in a historical practice. And one of the best things that I've read that I've ever read is uh, Walking with the Wind, which is John Lewis's memoir about the civil rights movement. Um, and him talking about the different kinds of protests and that, you know, we look to the March on Washington because of its size and grandeur, much like we history will look to the women's marches, which were an absolutely incredible thing to be a part of. But the point of those is size and scale, and it doesn't always ask the question, now what? And you need to know now what for something to have longevity. Um, it's important to those to bring in people maybe who have never done this before, maybe who need that. There's real um, a real feeling of being lifted up by the theatricality of those things, by the speakers, by the chants, by the songs, by standing in the streets together. Um, that is absolutely powerful. But I think that figuring out how you shape a message that goes along with it with real steps is uh equally, if not more, important. Um, part of why we have shaped the protests that we're doing on Wednesday, as we have, is because it's something different. There's so much screaming right now from all sides, and it makes sense. People are angry. People should be angry. There's so much to be angry about. But silence is also a really powerful tool. Um, individuality is also a really powerful tool. And hopefully, um, being able to harness that and show people that with a really clear action item, call the governor, tell him that he can't veto this, tell him you want him to sign, tell him that it will impact your vote. That is small scale theatricality that hopefully will have a big impact. Uh, there's a real movement within theater right now for these miniature one-on-one -on -one plays where it's literally one performer and one audience member. Um, and the power of that is as profound as Broadway when you have all of the lights and dazzle and you're playing to, you know, a 2000 person house when someone's looking you in the eye um, and telling a story to you that can be incredibly powerful and incredibly personal. And I think that we need more focus on that as a society is reaching out to individuals as individuals. Yeah. I really think it's the, the importance comes in taking your protest and trying to figure out a way to turn it into actionable Absolutely. change for society. Change only happens when people fight for it. And, you know, the right fought, Trump supporters fought hard for him and we didn't fight hard enough um, for, for Hillary by a long shot. 
But that being said, trying to be glass half full in my life and trying to be glass half full in terms of how I approach advocacy and organizing, because I don't think um, telling people they haven't done enough is a good way to include them now. Uh, I've gone to a lot of different groups since January uh, to help out. And one of the most powerful things is the vast array of people who have been there, people who have an organizing history that far outweighs my own, who does this professionally, who have been doing this for 40 years, and people who've never done it before. Um, the Women's March was a really interesting time for that exact reason, and all of the people who showed up. I wanted to go down to Washington, and uh, due, to, due to work, I wasn't able to, so I went to the, the march in Chicago. And I'm actually really glad I ended up in the march in Chicago, because I think it ended up being less of a pageant. Um, it was really real and really grounded and really, really run by the people. And what I try, and I, you know, a lot of my friends who fall into that kind of white middle class, upper class woman who hadn't seemed very uh, invested before when maybe their issues and their world wasn't being shaken, who now all of a sudden are, I try to keep my anger about those things to myself and reach out to them and say, great, you're involved now. Now my expectation of you is this. Great, you went to the march, you had a powerful experience, that's wonderful. Here are three groups that I want you to be on their mailing list for. Little easy things. We can't move the needle for everyone all at once and that's frustrating and that sucks because as we're trying to move the needle for people of immense privilege, there are lots of people being trampled on who can't afford to wait. But at the same time, pushing people away is never going to get them on um, your side. So I am a white woman uh, who by no means uh, has, has tons of resources or wealth, but I'm in a better situation in terms of uh, where I'm from and, and what I have uh, than a lot of people. And my job is to use my privilege to bridge that gap, to have really, really hard conversations with privileged white people um, and put my anger aside and see where I can reach them. So, you know, I've got friends who've never been involved before who now have started donating and going to meetings and asking how they can be involved. And if I can help on that, then then we're really starting to make a difference. You kind of have to, <clears throat> I think, take this approach to, well, it's not terrible that you're late to the party. The poor things that you're here now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, like it is terrible that they're late to the party. Don't get me wrong. This party's been going on for hundreds of years and has had so many casualties. And it's absolutely terrible that it takes something like this to wake us up. But if if you're if you're waking up and if you're gonna put your money where your mouth is, then I will always embrace you for being here now because we're gonna need it. We need it from everyone. Um, and, and ranking ourselves in terms of who is the best advocate doesn't help. I have a lot to learn. I do a lot of work and I have a lot to learn. And luckily I've got good people in my life all the time who remind me of that and who also encourage me and boost me when I feel low. So it's a real, it's a real balancing act. All right. So we are talking to Sarah Ilyevich Goldman. Sarah, let's give them one more time, all the information for this protest on next Wednesday. Let's, let's have it. Give them the full details. Full details. Okay, so the protest is at the Thompson Center, which is 100 West Randolph Street in Chicago. Um, you can Google the Thompson Center or Bruce Rauner's office in Chicago. It is at the Outdoor Plaza. Um, you will see women dressed as handmaids. You can come over to us. We will be giving out information. We run from 7 a.m. until 3 p.m. Uh, it is totally free. You are welcome to join at any time throughout that for as long or as short as you can be there. Um, if you want to help 
do other things while you're there and hand out flyers and stuff. We'd love to have you. Uh, if you just want to stand with our handmaids in silent protest, we would absolutely love that solidarity. If you cannot make it down, or even if you are planning on making it down, please, please, please follow us on social media so that we can get our voice out there. You can find us on Twitter at handmaids for the number four HB 40. Um, and you can find us on Facebook at save HB 40. Please like our page. Please follow us on Twitter. Please retweet what we tweet. Um, if you're coming down to the protest live, do some live tweeting, some live streaming so that we can let everyone in Illinois and across the country know that we will not be silenced and that we expect governor Rauner to make good on his promise from his campaign to be pro-choice and to sign this bill into law. Excellent. Uh, so I will get that uh, live stream information from you because you said you will be live streaming it that day. Absolutely. All right. So we are going to try and get that up on our social media feeds so that everybody can see it. And if we can do it from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. all day long, maybe we'll do that. Okay. Uh, we'll see how it works out. Uh, so, Sarah, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. It sounds like you are heavily involved with doing some great things up there. And I really hope that this protest uh, comes off the way you want it. And I really hope that the pressure helps uh, get this bill to be signed into law. Well, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing to amplify ours and other voices. And, uh, you know, it's amazingly refreshing and wonderful to see um, man take on these causes with such fervor. It's really important. Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate it. And it is not a problem. As I was mentioning earlier, you know, one of our missions with this show is the show is heavy and the topics are heavy, but they are very real. And so we wanted to make sure that all the groups out there that had a hand in doing positive things for especially the rights of women and girls across the country and across the world uh, really were able to get a voice on our show. So that's why I'm here and that's what I'm doing. So again, I appreciate you. Once again, this is Sarah Ilyevich Goldman and we will have all the information on our social media uh, sites. So thank you again. Thank you. All right.